0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City Jazz Pianist Max Groove. He is a Kansas City institution and one of the pioneers of the smooth jazz style that has thrilled listeners for years. He has 12 plus internationally released CDs, three in the top 20 Billboard jazz, and over the years, he has been on national tour appearances with Joe Sample and the Crusaders, The Temptation, The Four Tops, Peebo Bryson, and even Count Basie. In 2007, Governor Blunt called him a missouri state treasurer and for good reason he's got a lot of stories so please get to know him and dig this interview my friends
1: so max thank you for taking a minute out it's an honor to speak with you man i appreciate it
0: thank you it's
2: an honor to be on your show bro right on
1: so let's go ahead and start off here you are always a busy man you are a kansas city jazz institution so i want to know (laughs) (laughs) what have you been up to lately uh, just working on my 13th
2: album, which has been going on for about a year and a half now. Just constantly in the studio, redoing things, uh, working locally. Occasionally I'll go out and do a concert tour, uh, a few shows, that type of thing. And then I play mostly here in the city right now.
1: And are you still, so are you playing at the Green Lady and where else are you playing? Oh, I played the Green Lady, Sullivan's, uh, the Blue Room, you know, most of the haunts. Very nice. So, talk to me about your childhood growing up in Kansas City. How did you get into music? Just kind of talk to me about your childhood a little bit.
2: Well, my
1: family was
2: transported here when I was one years old uh, from New Jersey, and I grew up in the inner city, and uh, when I was about five, six, I was interested in playing guitar. My uncle gave me a guitar, and I played that. And then, uh, as I was growing up, in, uh, I went to Westport High School here in Kansas City, and then I
0: my mom married a
2: cat, uh, remarried and moved us out to Prairie Village and I started playing organ out there and I really found a big love for that. The gentleman the guy that she married was a jazz violinist. I should say that my mom was a opera singer in New York and New Jersey many years ago before I was born and then continued that uh with the philharmonic and uh here in Kansas City as an opera singer for some years. Uh she married a jazz violinist who moved to Stray Village. I found the love for organ and I started playing with all the soul and uh rock groups of the era growing up doing that. Later we got into uh being a bar manager and I don't know, I was taking lessons from John Elliott since I was about twenty, twenty one through about twenty three. He taught me a lot. Great great, great guy. I don't know, I just started doing music full time for a living. In seventy three I I met Gary Mack from the Mac truck and he was bringing, after his tour in Canada had had been through with his band, he started a new band called the Gary Mack Group and I was uh I auditioned to that and I at the time I was working at a bar as a bar manager, making lots of money. I tell you what, this guy, I auditioned, never thought I'd get it, of course, because I, I didn't feel I was that good, and I wasn't. But with <laughs> myself, I became much better. So Gary liked what I did and uh, hired me for his band that I played with for over two, maybe two and a half years. And in that interim period, whenever we were out of work, I'd go play with people. Like uh, I got in 74, I got to play with Johnny Guitar Watson for a few months as his keyboardist on the Lone Ranger Tour. That was the, uh, the record that came out before real mother for you. And Johnny and I had uh, developed a friendship that lasted uh 30 years before he died. And so, uh, I just kept playing music. And then I, in this uh, middle 70, after I left uh, Gary, I wound up uh, having an original disco band that we called Moxie with some friends of mine. And we went around and played for everybody and everywhere. And, uh, I became a mess, and uh, finally I, I thought, you know, I, I can't keep doing this, or I'm going to die. And so in 79, just before the 80 New Year's, I quit the band, disbanded the band. We had called the band Moxie, and in that interim, we had to change the name. There was a band out of Dallas that was on Warner Brothers that had a record that was a hit out called, and their name was Moxie. And somehow their lawyer got a hold of me at, through my mom. And I had to cease and desist, so we changed the name from Mocky to Max Groove. I've been a recording engineer uh, since 75 and a producer since 80. And uh, so we changed the name uh, there in the late 70s to Max Groove. Max Groove is a term that when you're at a mastering lab, uh, I was mastering a girl's uh, from Nashville's jazz album, and we went to a mastering lab in Omaha, sound recorders. Which was the place to be at the time for mastering in the Midwest. And, uh, the slick term there was, uh, you're always trying to get the maximum groove width when you're cutting with the cutting stylus when you're making an acetate. And that's the record platter. And, uh, so you're trying to get the maximum groove width. And, uh, I don't know, Max Groove popped in my head. And, uh, so we started calling our disco band that, which disbanded in just late 79. I went to work for a recording studio as a studio manager, and I sat around and uh, had dried out, because, you know, that was late 70s, was (laughs) crazy, and uh, so I I I don't know, man, I had a studio rhythm section that was I was working with through uh, the studio I was running with Max Berry and Emmett Lee, all of native Kansas and we had been playing there for, uh, you know, working in the studio for a, a year or so, and we decided to form the band, Max Groove, and do original contemporary jazz. I didn't know it at the time, but it later became smooth jazz. We took uh, the funk elements and the, the swing elements and all that and kind of combined it into our own sound. And my first album was City People, which had Max Perry and Emmett Lee on it. Then uh, I did another album called uh, <laughs> Fabulated Quibazoid, which I did with my touring band, my live band. And then we did another album, Dream Street, which Max and I produced, Max Berry, who later became my brother-in-law, by the way. Uh, and then, you know, I kept doing albums after that. Playing, open, we opened for everybody in the early 80s, from Count Basie to Kool and the Gang, Temptations, Four Tops, Whispers, Termometry, you know, just a lot of people. You know, Jeff Warber, it was, it was fun times. Lo and behold, I, you know, then by 80, the summer of 84, everybody, uh, was fried out on, you know, we were, we were doing a lot of bad things. So I needed to dry out again. I went to work for a a top 40 band in Westport and stayed there for a couple of years and worked on another album, a couple of albums actually, one that, uh, I lost a lot of money on. (laughs) And then the following one, uh, Midnight Rain went 14 and Billboard for 27 weeks, and then my life changed after that, doing original smooth jazz. And then we had another album out called, uh, with Max Perry and I called, uh, uh, Maximum Groove. Then after that we did an album called Agua Frio. Then I did an album, uh, called Maxed Out. Uh, you know, I've been, we got, we got 12 CDs out. Then I did Solo grand Piano album. I've got a uh Midnight Rain and Maximum Groove, both Charted in Billboard. And then I had an album come out in two thousand one that charted in billboard called It's a Beautiful Day. And then since then I did another album in uh oh eight, oh nine called uh, Night Out. And so then I've uh you know, I've been playing, working on this new album and uh, playing all over. That's that's kind of where I'm
1: at now. I like it. And that was a part of the timeline that I was going to ask you about. So I'm going to fill in some gaps here and ask you, when you were younger, what albums did you listen to that really influenced you and swayed your brain?
2: You know, it's funny. Jazz Times uh, asked me, in one of my interviews, asked me if I was stranded on an island, what three recordings would I have? And my three recordings were Led Zeppelin Two. Chick Corea, as light as a feather, and Oscar Peterson. Wow, that's great. <laughs> I I love Led Zeppelin. I loved it because of the emotion, the feelings. You know, they they really developed quite a quite an atmosphere for the listener, and I really enjoyed that. And then being a recording engineer all those years, I really, uh, I got into the recording aspect of it and found my my love for frequencies and mixing. I record now at a, a studio. I've been recording that since 87. A buddy of mine built this studio out behind his home that he inherited all this property and built a home for his mother and grandmother. And behind it, he built his own from the ground up and spent the real money and built uh, a recording studio with its own concrete slabs for every room, you know, so it came in between the right kind of uh, gravel and drainage sand. But it was. You know, double wall construction. It's it's a real facility. That's, and now it's called
0: L.A. Audio.
2: Lynn already had that, I guess, since the late uh, 2000s. I can't quite remember. Like 2008, I believe. And uh, he's got it working great. So I've been recording there. That's just a musician's room. And I've been a recording engineer and producer. You know, I go to L.A. a lot because for years I couldn't. I didn't feel comfortable uh mixing down my records in Kansas City because they didn't have all the right kind of high-end, expensive gear that I wanted. And I hooked up with a cat in L.A., and uh, I got schooled, and then I eventually just would go out to L.A. and buy the studio, lease it for a couple of three weeks, kick everybody out and do it myself, you know, with my friend as well. He'd help. I've been recording and doing this for years, you know, and so I'm working on a new album now out at Linaldo's place, uh, L.A. Audio, which is out uh, off of Woodland Road and uh, 435.
1: Absolutely. That has to be comforting to not only be able to perform all of the music that you have, but to also be an engineer. Does that give you – are you so connected to it that you – that maybe you don't recognize that from a macro standpoint? Or is that something that you've always wanted, is your own sound?
2: Oh, I've always wanted my own sound. Uh, I bought an instrument, uh, I guess it would have been in '74. a thing called the orchestron. It was like a mellotron, but a mellotron, you could only hold the note down. The mellotron was a thing that replicated uh, strings, local choirs, uh, flutes, all sorts of, you know... Had a half a dozen different instruments that you could play on a, on a, on a mellotron. It was a thing the Moody Blues used a lot of. They invented, uh, an instrument called the Orchestron by Vaco. I think Oberheim, that guy, invented it. Who later went on to build Oberheim synthesizers. He, uh, it was called the Orchestron and and it was on a, on a a clear acetate disc. A 12 inch disc that you could put in this machine and with laser optics you would hold down one of the notes and it would play that note for however long you held it. It, it You weren't constricted to just eight seconds before the tape had to go back and rewind itself, like the Mellotron was. And that bought, brought me, uh, I bought that instrument. I was one of two people in all of the United States at that time that had that instrument. And I went around to all the recording studios and that's how I got into the recording business. And, uh I want. I love that sound, and the studios hired me around the Midwest to, to do, like, uh, 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 gospel or Christian albums, you know, put on the, the final touches of strings, vocal choir. There's a studio here in town that was called NMI Recording Studio with Mike Green and Eugene Gold uh, back in the 70s that later moved to uh, 55th and Truth, and we had a studio there for years. I just, I don't know, I just always knew as I wanted to always, I had friends, we all grew up, and the three of us, sorry to change just a little bit, but this will, you'll see what I'm talking about. I, uh, the three of us grew up we wanted to be musicians full-time for a living, and we'd all sit and watch people go to work on a, on this big hill that overlooked the, the, the munitions plant at 95th uh the Bannister there. We'd all sit around and watch people go by as we're drinking and being stupid at 6, 7, 8 in the morning, and... Everybody They always wanted to be. We always wanted to be musicians that made a living from our music, and I always wanted. I told. I reiterated that I wanted to make a living from my original music, and that later became into fruition. I'm, uh, that's what I do now. I'm honored and blessed to be able to do that. So I've always wanted to to have my own sound, which is what I have to this day, with with help from my friends like Max Berry and other people that have gone in and out of the band over the years. I've always had this kind of a core sound. And it, people have called me a pioneer of the smooth jazz here. It's just I took either fusion or funk songs and made them smoother and, and more melodic than the backbeat, which is, you know, my which tends to name Max Good. But I always wanted the backbeat with strong melodies and kind of pretty, you know. So that's what I've been doing, is developing my own sound. And then to this day, I'm still doing it.
1: Absolutely. You know, speaking of relying on friends, we're only as good as the mentors and teachers that are in our lives. Talk to me about who those people are for you. Well, well, my my stepfather,
2: right off the bat, this jazz violinist that also played. He never he never had a day job until he died. I think it was like seventy seven when he died, seventy eight, and he'd never had a day job. And he played violin with some big names over the years out in Hollywood the whole bit. He had a had quite a bustling career in his era. Just him being him, you know, I'd wake up in the mornings and the guy would be <laughs> running around in his white uh, feet t-shirt and boxer shorts playing violin running through the house. That's how we'd wake up many a morning. And uh, I just loved him. He just was, I really looked up to him, you know. He tried to give me lessons once and couldn't because we were too close and I was an idiot. So that's why he, he was friends with John Elliott and he, John to take me. He didn't want to take me because I wasn't very good. So, <laughs> so I, I would say, you know, my, my stepfather, Frank Turney Gibson, was, was quite a mentor for me. Uh, Gary Mack, believe it or not, when he first hired me, I didn't know a whole lot of things about, I knew a, a bunch of theory, kind of, but I never had it in practical use, you know, didn't use it practically. And Gary taught me so much about substitutions and learning what to play and what not to play. And I learned so much about dynamics, and uh, Gary was quite a, at that period, that era, he was quite a a force with me. So I definitely looked up to him at that time. And then over the years, I've got to know huge names that have been friends, and have been, Joe Sample was a very good friend of mine. We laughed about it. I saw him a little before he died and we were laughing how long we knew each other. And I, my band, we used to open for him. That's how we got to be friends. Uh, he spoke to open for the Crusaders and then I, I started opening for them for his own band. And we'd hang out and, you know, and every time he comes to Kansas City, he would always call me and we'd have breakfast or lunch or me, you know, to go to the show or something. So he was, he was a big force in my life at, at, a, at a period that I was really experimenting and and learning how to do much more with my gift. Trying to think about anybody else, I I, I don't know. There's there's just so many guys, man. Sure. That are tremendous, tremendous people.
1: Yeah. Well, and then conversely, what do you try to teach the young people that you play with? You know, all of these people let you so much. What do you try to give the youth whenever you play with them? Have faith.
2: Follow your dream. That's what you want to do. Follow your dream and don't give up. I mean that's the bottom line. Just go for it. Believe in yourself. Have faith. Believe in yourself. And thank be very thankful and humble. Be thankful. You know. I learned that the hard way over the years. That's the deal, man. Be thankful and follow your dreams. And and believe. Have faith in yourself and 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 the powers
1: that be. So as you mentioned, from an early age, you've been around a lot of veterans, a lot of people. You've been the young one in the room, and you played with people like, as you said, with Count Basie and you know, one chose Sample and all these people. What did these legends and veterans that you were around give you? Not even overtly, but by osmosis. What did you learn from those people that have been around for a long time?
2: You know, the, I think the bigger the name, the kinder they were. I did service with people that were really. Uh, assholes to me Uh, jealous or whatever their their problems was anywhere from like Jeff Lorver to Joan Arbitrating to Roy Ayers was a little weenie Uh, who later like 30 years later apologized Uh, I met him on a stage and gave him a hard time about it we talked for a couple hours it was was very enlightening he's a great guy but back then he wasn't he was dealing drugs and doing drugs and, and drinking a lot this was an asshole. And Jeff Lorber didn't ever like this opening form. I, you know, he didn't like the fact that we would get encores. And I'm notorious, through If I get an encore, I just make something up. I don't do a song that the band knows. But i would play with cats that are, have so much intuition that, and great ears that they followed whatever I did, and we'd all make something of something out of nothing. And I remember Jeff didn't like that. And I remember he could, one time he tried to do a jam on stage. And his band wouldn't his band wouldn't do it. They didn't know what to do because he's such a tyrant with his band. How amusing! He almost actually, after one of my gigs, one of my first gigs we did with him, he almost got into a fight at the top of the steps going up to the dressing room, and he wouldn't let me through. And it was uh, he was just being a real weenie. And I tell you what, Kenny G who was playing with him at the time, saw up the confrontation, and called Jeff an asshole. And, Pulled me by the arm and we went up to the third floor dressing room and smoked away our chairs. <laughs> but, yeah, man, he was, he was, uh, Jimmy G was, Timmy was just a nice guy, man. Just a nice down to earth person. And Jeff had a lot of ego and a lot of problems going on. And again, I talked with Jeff years later about that. And we almost got into a confrontation again. <laughs> he's, he's an aggressive kind of guy. But he's, he's talented, man. They're all such gifted players, man. But the biggest, the biggest thing I ever learned from being around anybody big is be thankful for what you're at and what you get to do. It's a blessing beyond belief. And I haven't had a day job for over 45 years now. Just making music full time for a living. Just surviving that long is, is, is such a gift. I, I, you know, I don't know how else to put it, man. It's just such an honor and a blessing to do something that you truly love. And you you have a gift from in my opinion from God, and you just you know you nurture it, become it, and follow your dream and never
1: give up. That's the key. It, absolutely, and I think that leads to where you're at today. And Governor Blunt in 2007 called you a Missouri state Treasurer. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> it was it, I didn't know it was
2: happening. Uh, I played for the I played the Capital Jazz Fest. And then they had a private party at some little, at some hall they hadn't become, my band come perform at. And we were performing and we took the first break and next thing I know this guy comes up with a proclamation and a, a trophy and a, uh, a proclamation letter from the governor. And it totally took me by surprise and I was so honored. There's a lot of other great people from the city that have gotten that honor. I know my friend uh, Everett DeVan, I think he's one of them. I think there's like 10 people that have gotten that uh that honor so far that I know of. That was it's just a- tremendous, man, you know, to have somebody recognize the gift that you've been given. Wow. You know, and appreciate what you've done with it. That's that's such an honor and a blessing. I right? and I say that a lot, but it's 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 a reality, you know.
1: You know, I, I think you've answered this already, but I just want to ask you outright, up to this point, you've been around a long, long time. You've seen a lot of a lot of things a lot of ups and downs and just a lot of a lot of music how do you feel about your career and what's happened up to this point as we talk well you
2: know it's like everything you're only as good as in, in our business You're only as, as a recording artist you're only as good as your last record so you know you you just keep striving to keep doing records you know making music uh as far you know i'm 67 years old it would have been nice. you know i've had I've had quite a quite a career. We we had albums that chartered, so we made some good money at times, held on to it, didn't blow it. You know, but that was yesterday and yesterday's gone. So here's as as an older man I'm still out struggling to survive. Yeah. Every day I, I you know, I'm hustling, trying to get gigs. You know, I've got I found some new rooms that I'm gonna be coming up playing at later in the month. Broadway Bistro, that type stuff. You know, it's just uh it's a non ending struggle. But I, I guess struggle is the wrong word. It's uh adventure, you know. You're always out doing something, making something happen for yourself and uh you always meet such wonderful new people, people that, you know, in my case a lot of them will remember me. It's always an honor when somebody will remember, like in Tulsa or, or Oklahoma or Dallas, Houston, whatever, will remember Max Groove from the radio days and all the high times, and will ask me to come do a show there in their town, you know. And we do pretty good at times. It's yeah. amazing that people will still remember, and they'll ask for songs, and the audience will ask for songs that uh, I haven't done, you know, for like twenty some odd years. It always amazes me. But you know, we all remember it. Kind of go through it every day. Every day is a new adventure, you know. I don't have to go sit in an office and listen to somebody bitch your moan about their existence that's in a cubicle next to me. I don't have some boss berating me and, you know, keeping me under their thumb. So it's a real honor to be able to get out and hustle and go for it, you know. My father kept making a living at, at his craft until he died. He was still playing gigs, and that's what will happen to me. I'll just keep making music until I fall over.
1: So what do you like the best about Kansas City?
2: Well, of all the places I've been in the world, I mean, it doesn't have an ocean, doesn't have mountains, does have some pretty lakes. But I think the people is is the real core here. It's kind of, I have mixed emotions about that because other cities I go to, the the people there support their music a lot more than some of the Kansas City does it's kind of it's weird i will say you know i think Kansas City gets such great talent all the time that they become immune to it in a way you know you, it's hard to get Kansas City audiences to pay a cover charge anywhere else i go in the, in the in the in the states they're over especially overseas in europe and they're paying anywhere from 10 to 50 bucks each you know, when I go do these shows, you know, they get 40 bucks a ticket to come see me. Uh, you know, it's just hard. Kansas City is a hard place as a musician because there's so many great musicians and the Kansas City is, uh, oh, you know, they've gotten used to it. <laughs> I love living here because I raised my children here. I think that's, uh, it's such a wonderful place to live and raise children. You know the Midwest mentality is such a, a nice, a faith-based uh, personalities. People they they're very nice here, very outgoing. You go to Chicago or New York or San Francisco, L.A. Man, everybody's got a bad attitude that I see on on for the most part. Where there's you know naturally when I play the clubs or the, the halls, the people that work those places usually are just salt of the earth, wonderful people. But if you go and try and buy something from a a drugstore something, the people that are there, if you ask questions, you know, most of them are cautious of you and ignore you. In Kansas City, everybody is so outgoing and and lovely people here. You know, and I loved raising my two daughters here. That's such a lovely experience. And I I have young children. They're 14 and 17.
1: So let me ask you this. Since we live in this town that has so much history jazz-wise, if you could get into a time machine and go back and see a show in the Kansas City days, where would you go? Who would you see?
2: Well well from here in
1: town, uh,
2: you know, I'd like to see uh, you know, definitely when Count Basie plays here. I'm not a huge Bird fan. Uh my father wasn't. He he hung out with Bird for a minute. I don't think they got along here. <laughs> that's that's Jacob Chan. I think he's such a, a great icon. Back in the day, uh, I I was in love with a piano player from the 60s, Frank Smith. He was a great piano player here in town. He uh, he played with Miles whenever Miles would come through the Midwest, that type of thing. Richard Ross was another guy that played with Frank Smith. These were great guys. I'd like to see more of that. As a child growing up, my mom would go take me to see these guys. Big Bob Geraghty. I lived in the inner city, and my mom took me to all the hood clubs and uh, for the Saturday jams, and she'd take me out at night. She liked to go out. She was a, kind of a party girl, you know. She was raising three children by herself, got stranded here in Kansas City. <laughs> Poor girl. And we lived in on the poverty level, but she would occasionally go out and take me out. And as a child, I, I got to go hear all these great guys in. In fact, that's my love of guitar came from when Don Winslow put a I think it was an L5 on me on the, on the stage of the Club Matinee over there on 31st Street. I think it was Charlotte. And uh, as a little baby, as a child. And I I couldn't hold it, so he held it for me and I stunned it. He showed me. On the, and I tell you what, the minute I heard the the, the strings the guitar, uh, my face just I was told that my face just lit up, and I had a love for music ever since then. At nine years old, I, in the, in the city, they, uh, they, I got into orchestra, so I played viola for about ten years. We took second in state when I went to Shawnee Mission East. I graduated, I went to Westport and graduated from Shawnee Mission East. That was a transition, dude. But I, I, I was in New York, and I remember we took second in state for two years uh playing viola. And then I, I found the love of uh organ when I was about sixteen. And that then I that was it, uh, you know, forget violas.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this, to get to the essence of who you are. because um, I was gonna ask you about your future, but I think you've defined what your future is, what you want it to be, you want to play until the end. Okay. I want to keep recording and making music. That's it. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Everyone has a version of who you are. Your family, your friends, all of your fans. But who does Max Groove think he is? Who do you think you are? Blessed. Honored.
2: Thankful. You know, I just, uh, I'm just a man that's been able to make music. For whatever reason, my music has struck a mirror with the listeners who really like what I do. I'm just, I don't know. It's just what it what, a, it's, so cool! <laughs> I love the credit. You know, I could have been so many other things, and and to be a musician, you know, I put a very lucrative bar career to do music, and uh, I didn't make a lot of money back then. I, you know, I played with show bands, all sorts of things. So I just, how cool is it to be able to do what you love all these years? Absolutely. You know, I still pinch myself. You know, there's been times I haven't got a pot to piss in, but I tell you what, I still am thankful for the gift of being able to sit down at a piano and just create something from nothing out of thin air. You know, to make something up on the fly. You know, don't think about it, just do it. You know, I've tried to forget everything I've ever learned. You know, I don't even think about it anymore. You know, I understand it, but... I just try and let it flow, you know, there's, there's just kind of a force or a, a thing going on here that uh, if you just let it, if you just roll with it, it doesn't let you down. Right
1: on. Right on. That's a beautiful way to end everything. Max Groove, thank you. It's been an honor. I appreciate you opening up about your music, your life in Kansas City, and everything in between.
2: Well, Joe, thank you, man. Thank you for doing what you do, man. You know, I listen to your show. All these other artists are on there. That's so cool, man! That you take taking time out of your life, get to meet new people, new sounds. You know, exposing to people like you do with your neon jazz. That's that's very hip, man! And I'm honored to be part of it. Thank you for having me on the. Uh the show, perfect.
0: Thanks. thanks. for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Max for being a Missouri treasure, all of his time and all that music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Mm-hmm.
2: Neon Jazz.